Hi there, family and friends. Welcome to Brother Hebert Presents. This is a study on the Feast of Weeks. This paper is found in the calendar menu at www.thinkoutsidethebeast.com. Click the drop-down arrow to open the menu. There are seven feast days. The Feast of Weeks is the third of seven. The Feast of Weeks is part of the Spring Holy Days. All seven of the feast days reveals the plan of Yahweh the Father, the sacrifice of His Son, Yeshua Christ, and the children of Israel, the flesh and blood household of the covenants and promises, and these feast days are reminders of our family history. The seven feast days are Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks, also called Wave Sheaf, and Feast of Firstfruits, Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, followed by the last great day. Every feast day is part of the gospel message. The gospel is the message of the good news, the news of our Savior, and that He died for our sins. But it doesn't stop there. It's the good news of regathering and reconciliation, education, and teaching. When the gospel is preached, its message is to the children of Israel, because every one of these feast days is part of the plan of reunification between scattered Israelites and Yahweh. Matthew 10.6 But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Yisrael. Passover is celebrated as a reminder that Yeshua died to pay the penalty of our sins during his first advent. The angel of death passed over the Israelites' houses that were covered with the blood of the Passover lamb. Romans 4.7 Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The gospel is celebrated in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which reminds us that we must put the sin out of our lives. John 5.14 Afterward, Yeshua finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, you are made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. It is a reminder that Yahweh took our ancestors out from bondage and idolatry in haste, gave them the law and the feast days to keep us walking in the way and in remembrance that He chose us. If we claim that we are covered by His blood, then we must sin no more. We must continue to obey the gospel, which is part of the commandments and connected to the feast days. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 Yeshua will be returning with his Malachim, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Master Yeshua Christ. 1 Peter 4.17 For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? The gospel is celebrated in the Feast of Weeks, also called Wave Sheaf and Feast of Firstfruits. It represents the resurrection of Yeshua Christ from the dead. It is symbolic of the firstfruits of God's calling and begins the 50-day countdown to Pentecost, which means it's time to go out and witness to your kinsmen of their kinsman redeemer. When one responds to this good news, then they are your presentation of firstfruits, which can now receive the Holy Spirit, because the gospel is celebrated in Pentecost. When you do that which is right in the sight of Yahweh, you receive the Holy Spirit, which is promised to those who obey Him. Acts 5.32 And we are His witnesses of these things, and also the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey Him. The Gospel is celebrated in the Feast of Trumpets, because the trumpet is a warning and a call to preparation that Yeshua is coming. Time to repent, for the reign of Yeshua is near. Ezekiel 33.7 So you, O son of Adam, 
I have set you a watchman unto the house of Yisrael. Therefore, you shall hear the word from my mouth and warn them for me. The gospel is celebrated in the Day of Atonement, which is a time to repent and to fast, which means to humble yourselves and deny food, water, and worldly things for the day. When one hears the gospel, is not repentance required in order to give yourself over to Christ? Matthew 4.17 From that time Yeshua began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel is celebrated in the Feast of Tabernacles, because when you have atoned and repented, you are now cleansed and can dwell in the safety of Christ. It is a reminder of when Yahweh dwelt among our Israelite ancestors in the wilderness in tents, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It is also symbolic that we will dwell in safety when he returns in flaming fire. Exodus 29.45 And I will dwell among the children of Yisrael, and will be their Elohim. Psalm 61.4 I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of your wings. Selah. 1 John 2.28 And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The gospel is also a reminder of the last great day of this Feast of Tabernacles, which represents the judgment day and end of this evil age and the beginning of the kingdom age. Peter reminds us that true knowledge is the key. He states the importance of having scriptural knowledge and discerning it from corrupt worldly knowledge. Correct knowledge brings fruits of righteousness. Be a profitable servant with the knowledge Yahweh gives you. 2 Peter 1.11 For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Master and Savior, Yeshua Christ. James 2.5 Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in belief and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? John 14.15 If you love me, Keep my commandments. These feast days are all over the Bible. They are the gospel message within the heritage and appointed days of our people and reveals the plan of repentance, redemption, reconciliation, remembrance, obedience, and salvation. The gospel is a call to repentance, to putting away the old sinner and putting on the new educated obedient Christian, and to live according to the way which includes all the commandments and appointed days given to our people. The gospel is a return to our identity and heritage, to the Christian way of lifestyle, and to our God. Observing these feast days is no different than observing the 4th of July and other holidays and events. They are memorials. Actually, the only difference is the feast days are Yahweh's. It has been noted by many scholars down through the ages that Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was written at the time period of the year of the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is evident by Paul's many allusions to the festival. He goes on to write, 1 Corinthians 5.6 Your boasting is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Note that Paul, in an address to his kinsmen, refers to keeping God's feast days. 
Paul's point is that they are already unleavened. Physically, they removed leaven from their homes in compliance with God's festival. Yet, they needed to apply the concept to their spiritual house as well, and clean spiritual leaven out from it. The assembly was observing God's feast days. Paul again alludes to this time period, the Passover and Feast of Unleavens, in chapter 15 when he wrote of the resurrection of Christ. In verses 20 and 23, he refers to Jesus as the firstfruits of them that sleep, those that are dead. This is allusion to the first day of the week during the Feast of Unleavens, in which day that the first of the firstfruits were offered up to God. This day and its offering typifies Christ's resurrection and ascension, as Paul noted, and the Feast of Firstfruits typifies the resurrection of the rest of the firstfruits, meaning the obedient assembly. The first Christians continued to observe the festivals, i.e. Yahweh's festivals, though in a new spirit as commemorations of events which those festivals had foreshadowed. Encyclopedia Britannica, 11th edition, volume 8, page 828. This caused a problem for the Catholic Church. First, it shows that until at least the late 4th century that some who professed Christ still kept all the holy days. But secondly, and more importantly, since the Catholic Church claims that it still keeps a version of Passover, though under the name Easter in English, and Pentecost, then their saint John Chrysostom should never have condemned all the festivals that God gave the Israelites, yet he did. The Feast of Weeks is connected to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is connected to Passover. All three spring holy days follow each other, starting with Passover on the 14th day of Abib, Feast of Unleavened Bread on the 15th, and the Feast of Weeks on the 16th which begins the countdown to Pentecost. Why do the churches keep only Passover? The Passover is a reminder that Christ died for us to pay the penalty of our sins. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a reminder that we must put sin out of our lives and to honor what Yahweh did for our ancestors when he led them out of Egypt. The Feast of Weeks, also called Wave Sheaf and Feast of Firstfruits, is a reminder that Christ rose from the dead. They all have symbolic meaning, and they all are memorials of our family heritage. They are reminders of why Yahweh sent His Son, and each feast is a reminder and teaching lesson for us to keep, follow, guard, participate in, and observe every year. It's part of this test called mortal life, and it's part of our good works in which we show Yahweh that we love him by keeping his commandments and set apart appointed days. We all know that keeping the weekly Sabbath is a commandment because it is a set-apart holy day above all other days. These feasts of Yahweh are no different. They are set-apart holy days, sacred appointments, high Shabbats, and are solemn assemblies for the called to gather and celebrate. The following section is the counting of the Omer. Exodus 16.4 Then said Yahweh unto Moshe, Behold, I will rain bread from the sky for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain portion every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Verse 11. And Yahweh spake unto Moshe, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the children of Yisrael 
speak unto them, saying, At sunset you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your Elohim. And it came to pass that at evening the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay around about the camp. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Yisrael saw it, they said to one another, It is man, or manna. For they did not know what it was. And Moshe said unto them, This is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is the thing which Yahweh has commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man, according to the number of your persons. Take you every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Yisrael did so, and gathered, some more, some less. And when they did measure it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moshe said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moshe, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moshe was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moshe. And he said unto them, This is that which Yahweh has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto Yahweh. Bake that which you will bake today, and cook that which you will cook, and that which remains over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning, as Moshe bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moshe said, Eat that today, for today is a Shabbat unto Yahweh. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Shabbat, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, how long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that Yahweh has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide you every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Yisrael called the name thereof Man, or Manna. And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moshe said, This is the thing which Yahweh commands, Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you forth from the land of Mitzrayim. A container of manna was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 33. And Moshe said unto Aharon, Take a pot, and put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before Yahweh, to be kept for your posterity. As Yahweh commanded Moshe, so Aharon laid it up before the testimony, to be kept. 
And the children of Yisrael did eat manna forty years, until they came to the land inhabited. They did eat manna, until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is the tenth part of a measure for a grain. Hebrews 9.3 And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aharon's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Hebrews chapter 7 explains the stages of the priesthood. Hebrews chapter 8 is about the mediator of a better covenant. The old priesthood and its rituals and sacrifices ended because Christ fulfilled the last sacrifice and became our high and only priest and mediator for us to Yahweh. Chapter 8 explains that the old priesthood of men offered the gifts and sacrifices for sin to atone for that year. The Levitical priesthood were only men, and the atonements were made yearly. This set the pattern of what would follow after the priesthood expired when Christ died. Hebrews 8.5 Who, the high priest, serve unto the example, or the sign, or admonishing, and shadow, or the representation of heavenly things, as Moshe was admonished of Elohim when he was about to make the tabernacle. For, See, saith he, that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you in the mount. The Levitical priesthood had to maintain a strict observance of every detail of their service and follow it until the sacrifice of Christ. These feast days were kept, and the people brought their offerings and atonement for sins to the priests, and the priests performed the rituals. This is what was done away with, because the priesthood and the grain and sin offerings expired, because Christ fulfilled them. So now we don't have to bring anything? No, we must make spiritual sacrifices now, which is done through obedience, participation, and with knowledge and understanding. Hebrews chapter 8 goes on to state that in this better or renewed covenant, the law was written on our hearts and on our minds. If you don't observe these feasts with mindfulness and participation, then how do you follow the pattern of obedience? Chapter 9 of Hebrews goes on to describe the earthly and the heavenly sanctuaries. The original covenant had ordinances, or deeds, of divine service and a sanctuary made with hands, meaning earthly, the temple. Behind the second veil was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go in once a year with blood to offer for himself and for the errors of the people. Paul is describing the way the priesthood operated, and now that Christ died, all that expired because of the transition from the ritual laws and the earthly tabernacles into the Holy Spirit inhabiting the new tabernacle, our bodies. Paul explains that even when the priesthood sacrificed for the people, it still did not make one perfect. Only Christ is able to cover over our sins forever, if we repent and continue in the way. The priesthood and the rituals were done away with, because once you brought your sacrifice to the priest, you were off the hook for a year and your conscience was cleared. Now there is no more priests and offerings to bring. 
So now what? Well, that's why these feasts are still to be kept. They are reminders to keep in your conscience. If we didn't keep them, wouldn't they become out of sight, out of mind? Aren't they out of sight and out of mind among the churches and the Gentiles? Christ's sacrifice takes away sin. Hebrews 9.23 It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, meaning the blood rituals, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. All the temple rituals were patterns, models, and examples for the coming crucifixion. Notice, sacrifices is in the plural. They would include the best sacrifice, Yeshua, and the sacrifices which we now make, which are spiritual sacrifices, meaning mindfulness, obedience, witnessing to others, and keeping the feast days. Hebrews 10 backs up the fact that the sacrifices never perfected anyone. If they did, they would not have ceased, because the blood of animals would have been able to take sins away every year. And what would we have needed Christ for? The priesthood was to teach obedience, and that Yahweh wanted obedience more than sacrificing animals. The renewed covenant was established without the need for a priesthood and sacrificial rituals. Christ replaced the priesthood. When you accept the blood of Yeshua Christ, you are returning to the way, your heritage, and being a true believer, you would understand that you must walk as he walked to enter into a real relationship with him. Hebrews 10.20 By a new and living way, which he has instituted for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and let us consider one another to stimulate unto love and to good works. Is just believing good works and living according to the way? Or is understanding, knowing, and observing these feast days and following his commands and walking in the way proving your good works? By doing so, you are witnessing to your idle kinsmen and hopefully provoking them to good works. So what is the Omer all about? The period of the Omer begins the second night of Passover and continues until Shavat, Pentecost. Literally translated, Omer means a sheaf. It refers to the measure of grain that was once offered at the temple in Jerusalem. While there is no longer a temple or an Omer offering, we should still count the days between Passover and Pentecost. The commandment for us to count comes directly from the Torah. The counting of the days to Pentecost is intended to remind us of the link between Passover, which commemorates the Exodus and the Resurrection, and Pentecost, which commemorates the formal giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ruach Kodesh, the Holy Spirit. The Omer period was a preparation for receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai. Each day we must take one more step away from the impurities of Egypt that have remained within us. Counting of the Omer is called Sephirat HaOmer in Hebrew. The Israelites were freed from their lives of slavery in Egypt on Passover, and fifty days later on Pentecost they accepted Yahweh's Torah 
which made them a nation committed to serving Yahweh. The counting of the days of the Omer is a biblical commandment incumbent upon each Israelite to perform. Traditionally, the period of the Omer count is to be a time of spiritual introspection as the counters prepare themselves for Pentecost. Because it begins during Passover and concludes at Pentecost, it is a remembrance of the journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai. The messianic implications of the Omer and the subsequent countdown are great. In the Gospel's account of Yahshua, the appointed day for harvesting the barley Omer coincides with the resurrection of Messiah, the day after the Shabbat. In a remarkable display of God's sovereign planning, the resurrection day was set aside as a day of first fruits, 1400 years before its occurrence, which shows that our ancestors kept it and observed it before it occurred. And we today are to continue to keep it and observe it because the meaning and tradition is the same, minus the bringing of crops to the priesthood and the temple. The symbolism is strong, just as the first omer of barley was brought as a firstfruits of the whole harvest, so too Messiah's resurrection was a firstfruits of the resurrection of the dead. Counting is followed by recitation of Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is recited because it is composed of exactly 49 Hebrew words which correspond to the 49 days of the omer count. Psalm 67.1 Elohim, show favor unto us, and bless us, and cause your countenance to shine upon us, Selah, that your way of life may be known upon the land, your saving deliverance among all nations. Let the people praise you, O Elohim, let all the people praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously, and govern the nations upon the land, Selah. Let the people praise you, O Elohim, let all the people praise you. Then shall the land yield her increase, and Elohim, even our own Elohim, shall bless us. Elohim shall bless us, and all the ends of the land shall revere him. The counting of the Omer is a countdown to Pentecost, the time of the giving of the Torah, and the time of the giving of the Holy Spirit. As such, it is a spiritual journey of preparation. It is a journey which is begun with Passover, the symbol of our salvation in Yeshua, and completed at Pentecost the symbol of our receiving the Holy Spirit. The distance of days between the two events should be a time of spiritual reflection, growth, purification, and preparation. On the first day of the Omer, he appeared to Miriam and the two others while they traveled to Emmaus. On the second day of the Omer, he appeared among the twelve. On the ninth day of the Omer, he appeared to them again and to Thomas the doubter. During the counting, he also appeared to five hundred witnesses, and then to James, and to seven others while they fished on the sea. On the fortieth day of the Omer, he ascended to heaven. Today, since we don't bring offerings of grain to the priests and the temple, the Omer, which represents a dry measure of grain, actually represents ourselves, as we are the wheat people. Our duty is to sow the seeds of Yahweh's word in our kinsmen and witness to them of the gospel. If they respond and grow in the word, then your efforts are producing fruit, which 
if they continue in the word, they will receive the Holy Spirit. This is the pattern of the Feast of Weeks, post-expiration of the priesthood and temple offerings. We, personally, are now offering Yahweh the firstfruits of those who've accepted the word. If they continue in the word, they would join in fellowship with the other feast days, and by observing the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall, they would be part of the ingathering of the harvest. The harvest being those who join the remnant, who have heard the trumpet warning and prepared themselves, made atonement, came up out of this satanic society and tabernacle in safety with Yeshua, and are ready for the last great day. This is what the gospel is all about. Exodus 23.14 Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month Abib. For in it you came out from Mitzrayim, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the firstfruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before Yahweh Elohim. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the firstfruits of your land you shall bring into the house of Yahweh your Elohim. You shall not boil a kid in his mother's milk. Behold, I send the messenger before you, to keep you in the way, and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him, and obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you shall indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies, and an adversary unto your adversaries. Deuteronomy 18.19 And it shall come to pass, that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Yahweh wants us to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Exodus 34.22 And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks, of the firstfruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your men-children appear before Yahweh Elohim, the Elohim of Yisrael. For I will cast out the nations before you, and enlarge your borders. Neither shall any man desire your land, when you shall go up to appear before Yahweh your Elohim, three times in the year. Keep these memorials, and we will not have enemies and nothing to fear. Yahweh will guard you. Verse 25. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left unto the morning. The first of the firstfruits of your land you shall bring unto the house of Yahweh your Elohim. You shall not boil a kid in his mother's milk. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Write you these words, 
For after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Yisrael. Exclusive, the children of Jacob. Jasher 82.27 And Yahweh commanded him respecting the children of Yisrael, that they should make a sanctuary for Yahweh, that his name might rest therein. And Yahweh showed him the likeness of the sanctuary, and the likeness of all its vessels. The sanctuary and the vessels before Christ came were the temple and its utensils. This was a foreshadow of what we became after Christ died. We became his dwelling place and vessel. If we don't keep in memory and observe these feast days, how will we continue our covenant with him if we don't respect and honor the memorials, meanings, and observances of the covenant and feast days? The Law of the Grain Offerings Leviticus 2.12 As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them unto Yahweh, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. And every offering of your grain offering shall you season with salt. Neither shall you suffer the salt of the covenant of your Elohim to cease from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Mark 9.49 For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Colossians 4.6 Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Verse 14 And if you offer a grain offering of your firstfruits unto Yahweh, you shall offer the grain offering of your firstfruits, green ears of grain dried by the fire, and grain beaten out of the ripe kernels. And you shall put oil upon it, and lay frankincense thereon. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall burn as an incense the memorial of it, part of the beaten grain thereof, and part of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. It is an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. Our offerings are not made with grain, fire, and blood sacrifice anymore. They are of spiritual offerings through witnessing to others and a daily lifestyle living in the way of Yahweh and rejecting the way of the world. The offerings of the firstfruits, meaning the new converts, must be seasoned with salt, meaning truth, and sincerity. Salt is a cleansing agent. Salt is symbolic of faithfulness and integrity. Salt is a preserver. The law preserves. By following Yahweh's laws and statutes and speaking and acting with salt, those receiving the word, the salt, will be preserved. How can one be preserved and follow the law if they are not seasoned with salt? Feasts of Yahweh, Leviticus 23.10 Speak unto the children of Yisrael, and say unto them, When you become into the land which I give you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Shabbat, the priest shall wave it. The wave sheaf offering represents the resurrection. 
wave is H5130, nuf, and means to offer, to lift up. John 12.32 And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. Continuing in Leviticus verse 12 And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf, and a he-lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto Yahweh. And the grain offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire unto Yahweh for a sweet savor, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread, nor parched grain, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your Elohim. And it shall be a statute for a very long time throughout your generations in all your dwellings. We don't have the physical temple anymore and do not offer sacrifices of burnt offerings anymore. It is spiritual sacrifice we are to offer, obedience, loyalty, and set-apartness. Verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that you brought the sheep of the wave offering, seven Shabbats shall be complete. This is the countdown to Pentecost. Verse 16. Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Shabbat, ye shall number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new grain offering unto Yahweh. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven, they are the first fruits unto Yahweh. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto Yahweh, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire, of sweet savor unto Yahweh. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits for a wave offering before Yahweh, with the two lambs. They shall be holy to Yahweh for the priest. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a high Shabbat unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make clean riddance of the corners of your field when you reap. Neither shall you gather any gleaning of your harvest. You shall leave them unto the poor and to the stranger of kin. I am Yahweh your Elohim. When the high priest waved the sheaf of new grain before the people, it prefigured the raising of Christ from the dead before the wheat people, Israel. We are to celebrate this day in remembrance that he was the first to conquer death, and that we are to anticipate our own victory over death when it is our time at the last harvest. This is really the holiest day of the spring feasts, as it symbolizes Christ's triumph over death. Numbers 28-26 Also, in the day of the firstfruits, when you bring a new grain offering unto Yahweh, after your weeks be out, you shall have a high Shabbat, you shall do no servile work. The high Shabbat would eventually be Pentecost.
Deuteronomy 16.8 Six days ye shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a high Shabbat to Yahweh your Elohim. Ye shall do no work therein. Seven weeks ye shall number unto you. Begin to number the seven weeks from such a time as you begin to pull the sickle to the standing grain. And ye shall keep the feast of weeks unto Yahweh your Elohim, with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which ye shall give unto Yahweh your Elohim, according as Yahweh your Elohim has blessed you. And ye shall rejoice before Yahweh your Elohim, you, your son, your daughter, your manservant and maidservant, and the Levite that is within your gates, and the sojourning kinsman, and the fatherless, and the widow that are among you, in the place Yahweh your Elohim has chosen to place his name there. And you shall remember that you were a bondman in Egypt, and you shall observe and do these statutes. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, after that you have gathered in your grain and your wine. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you, your son, and your daughter, and your manservant, and your maidservant, and the Levite, and sojourning kinsmen, and the fatherless, and the widow that are within your gates. Seven days shall you keep a solemn feast unto Yahweh your Elohim in the place which Yahweh shall choose, because Yahweh your Elohim shall bless you in all your increase, and in all the works of your hands, therefore you shall surely rejoice. Three times in a year shall all your males appear before Yahweh your Elohim in the place which he shall choose. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and in the Feast of Weeks, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before Yahweh empty. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of Yahweh your Elohim which he has given you. We don't have to appear before Yahweh in a temple or even a church because he doesn't dwell in those buildings. We appear before Yahweh when we do what he says. If you are not doing what he says, then you are appearing before him empty. Not participating or at least being mindful of these feast days is appearing before him empty. Deuteronomy 24.19 When you cut down your harvest in your field, and has forgot a sheaf in the field, you shall not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger of kin, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that Yahweh your Elohim may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger of kin, for the fatherless, and for the widow. The phrase, to beat your olive tree, is a reference to knock down the olives. Don't beat it twice, leave some for the poor. When we consider the poor, we are doing that which is right in the sight of Yahweh. When we bring the gospel to the poor in spirit, we are sowing the seeds in them, which, if they respond to the word, watered by you, and Yahweh gives the increase, then you are bringing in your first fruits. Proverbs 3.1 My son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, bind them about your neck, write them upon the table of your heart, so you shall find favor and good understanding in the sight of Elohim and man. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, 
In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Revere Yahweh, and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel, and marrow to your bones. Honor Yahweh with your substance, and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Sounds a lot like your weeks of hard work witnessing pay off. Jeremiah 2.3 Yisrael was set apart unto Yahweh, and the firstfruits of his increase. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares Yahweh. Hear ye the word of Yahweh, O house of Yahweh, and all the families of the house of Yisrael. Thus says Yahweh, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? The children of Israel got fat and lazy and forgot about Yahweh, his laws, and set apart sacred days. They went from being a nation set apart in righteousness, with much fruit, to an apostate nation, with rotten and genetically modified fruit. One of the big sins was that of race mixing, which destroys the holy seed. Jeremiah 5.21 Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, says Yahweh? Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it? But this people has a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now revere Yahweh our God, that giveth rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withheld good things from you. The people had become idolatrous, race mixers, and pagan. They lacked reverence of his laws and appointed weeks of the harvest. Their sins have kept them from being blessed because they had no good fruit to show. Ezekiel 20.39 As for you, O house of Yisrael, thus says Yahweh Elohim, Go you, serve you every one his idols, and hereafter, if you will not hearken unto me, but pollute you my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. Go to your idols. TV, sports, materialism, Jewish Jesus, if you will not listen to Yahweh. But stop performing empty rituals in his name, putting in your hour at church, honoring with your lips and not with your hearts. Without true knowledge and understanding of your heritage and duty, you are polluting his holy name. Yahweh doesn't want any offerings and gifts in the name of Jewish Jesus, or from someone who ignorantly identifies as a trans-Gentile and trusts in church doctrine. Verse 40 For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Yisrael, says Yahweh Elohim, there shall all the house of Yisrael, all of them in the land, serve me. There will I accept them, 
and there will I require your offerings, and the first fruits of your oblations, with all your holy things. I will accept you with your sweet savor, when I bring you out from among the people, and gather you out of the countries wherein you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the nations. We see the message of the gospel in the feast days. When Yahweh divorced Israel for their iniquities, he scattered them among the nations, and as a result, they forgot who they were and whose they were. But the gospel is the message to these lost and scattered Israelites whom he draws out from among the people. The ones that take hold of the gospel and live it are sanctified and receive the Holy Spirit, and the works they do are acceptable firstfruits. Ezekiel 44.30 And the first of all the firstfruits of all things, and every oblation of all, of every sort of your oblations, shall be the priests. You shall also give unto the priest the first of your dough, that he may cause the blessing to rest in your house. Today, there is no more priesthood to bring the firstfruits of your crops to. The priesthood was the mediator to Yahweh God. Now, Yeshua Christ is the only mediator, so he is the one receiving the firstfruits of your witnessing. Tobit 2.1 Now when I was come home again, and my wife Anna was restored unto me, with my son Tobias, in the Feast of Pentecost, which is the holy feast of the seven weeks, there was a good dinner prepared me, in the which I sat down to eat. The feast days are also found all over the apocryphal literature. This section of Romans chapter 8 is about future glory. Paul states that our mortal test called life has us subjected to vanity, which Yahweh subjected in order that through obedience and allegiance to him and his ways, we shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Romans 8.22 For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Paul is saying that they, who are the dispersed ten northern tribes of Israel, and ourselves, who are the two southern tribes of Judah, wait for the placement of sons. The English word adoption comes from the Latin word adoptia, no relationship to the Greek word euiothesia, which never implies taking someone else's child and making it your own. The meaning of euiothesia is placement of sonship. Its literal meaning is to become an heir, a status Israel lost because of disobedience. This meaning makes it clear that it is an exclusive reference to Israel only, for no other people were lost or put away in punishment. Weathesia is when an adolescent becomes an adult, the coming of age, and grows into perfected adulthood. Both houses of Israel and Judah that received the gospel on the first Pentecost after Christ ascended were the first fruits of the Spirit. When we today, who receive the gospel message of our forgotten heritage and identity, and gain 
true understanding of the word and continue in the way, we also will receive the Holy Spirit and will be placed into position of sons and daughters. This is what the Feast of First Fruits is all about, witnessing and proclaiming the good news to our lost brothers and sisters so they too may receive the Holy Spirit. First Fruits is G536 Aparche. It means to offer firstlings or first fruits, the first fruits of the productions of the earth which was offered to God, the first portion of the dough from which sacred loaves were to be prepared in the BC days of the covenant. In the AD days of the covenant, the term is used of Israelites consecrated to God. The tithe of the first fruits is no longer brought to temples and priests because Christ fulfilled those ordinances. The first fruits we now bring are from our works, which are results of our witnessing, proclaiming, and bringing the gospel. These feast days and heritage to our ignorant, unlearned, disobedient, and lost kinsmen, who are trapped in these Judeo churches, worshiping Jaime Jesus and believing repeated lies. The next section of Romans, chapter 11, is about the salvation of the lost nations of Israel. The Israelites in Judea were learning that their Israelite brothers and sisters who were scattered among the nations are under the same promises and covenants as themselves. The lost sheep needed to hear the message as well, because they were of the same tree. Romans 11.16 For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. The first fruits were of the house of Judah. They observed the law and knew their heritage. The lump were those of the house of Israel. They were walking in darkness and forgot their heritage and laws. Both houses were of the set-apart, holy, anointed people of Israel. The good news was the message to the ignorant of our people. When they are educated in the truth and continue in it, they too can receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 16.5 Likewise, greet the assembly that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epihinetos, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Many of the Greeks were of the house of Judah, Chapter 16 lists many names of Israelite kinsmen who were disciples of the belief, and Paul was warning them to beware of false gospels and false teachers. It was a time when the true gospel was being received by the true Israelites, and the true word was becoming less of a mystery because the truth was smashing the Jews' fables. 1 Corinthians 15.20 but now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by Adam came death, by Christ in Adamic flesh came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, the firstfruit, Christ, then those of the anointed people at his arrival. First fruits is G536, Aparche, which represents the people consecrated to Yahweh. First Corinthians 1615, 
I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The whole meaning of the Feast of Weeks, a time to sow seeds of truth among the lost sheep, that by the will of the Father who draws them, they may receive the Holy Spirit. If, and when they do, they become aparche, meaning consecrated to God. First Fruits James 1.17 Every good gift, every act of giving, and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creations. James goes on to state that we must be doers of the word and not just believers only, that when we receive the word, we can receive the Holy Spirit and ultimately our salvation. Doers of the word are those who know and obey the word and sow the word. When the word grows, the kingdom gets built. Revelation 14.4 these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto Elohim and to the Lamb. Defiled with women, meaning defiled by false religion. If you worship a Jewish Jesus and accept any of the 33,000 denominations of so-called Christianity, then you are not a chaste virgin, will not receive the Holy Spirit, and can only be the firstfruits of the devil and for his son, Jaime Jesus. It matters who and what we believe. In the female gestation cycle, day 16, the zygote connects with the uterus. Firstfruits represents when the zygote becomes an embryo, also known as Wavesheaf Day or Feast of Weeks, it represents the point where the zygote's outer membrane opens up and physically connects with the mother's uterus, beginning the process of developing the umbilical cord. The umbilical cord provides the necessary exchange of bodily fluids for the zygote to develop into an embryo. How do you celebrate the Feast of Weeks? You must find which day it falls on the Gregorian calendar. It begins two days after Passover and the day after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can view the Hebrew solar calendar in the links on the paper. Since we are not all farmers growing grain, and the temple, priesthood, and its ordinances expired, we simply just need to be mindful of what the Feast of Weeks means, what it represents, and to bring the truth of the gospel to our people so they may return to Yahweh their heritage and identity, and receive the Holy Spirit. Now you are ready to go out and witness to others and prepare them for Pentecost, which is connected to Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Weeks. This Feast of Weeks study is also part of the Feast Days study series. Links are provided on the paper.